Hey, this is Pastor Brian. I want to welcome you to the Reach Church Podcast. We hope this message helps you wherever you are in life and brings you closer to Jesus. We hope you enjoy the message. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to open your, your uh, Bibles there, we're going to be talking about, obviously, culture. And the title of this sermon is called Death by Culture. Death by Culture. And, uh, you, you know, I, I want to I say something real quick, and I want to ask everybody to hear me out. Listen to me for a second. Um, you know, I know that these sermons the last few weeks have been tough and they've been challenging or they've been irritable and, uh, I'm not going to apologize for preaching them, but at the same, at the same, at the same, in the same sentence, I want you to understand that I, I'm doing this because I love you and I feel like this is something that God has put on my heart that I'm just simply trying to be obedient to God. Uh, and I hope you understand that, that it can come off a little strong, um, but I believe that it is so necessary, and I hope that you hear the heart behind everything that I say, that it's not me being ever irritated or frustrated at all. I, I do everything I can to always come from a place of love, and I hope that you sense that through the things that I say. Um, and so, again, this is because I love you, and I'm for you, and I believe that this is something that God has asked me to do. Sometimes obedience doesn't make sense until the end, right? Sometimes we don't understand why we're doing something until God reveals it, and so I'm just simply trying to be obedient to you over these next three, four, five, six, eight weeks, however long it is that the Lord tarries on this, so y'all can pray and ask him, <laughs> um, and, um, but I believe that we're going to get into some more dynamics, more of the stuff. I just want to, I want to preface some things that I believe that we have to, we have to hit these things first before the stuff that I'm going to preach on in the future matters. It's not going to make sense if I don't talk about this. And so I have to, to hit on these types of things first so that you as a body can be healthy and strong. Look, I, I will tell you this. I did not start a church to be a big church. I started a church because God called me to do this, and he called me to grow, to raise up big people. You know, people ask us, how do you grow? And I, I tell, how have you gotten so big so fast? And different people have asked me that. I said, we've never gone into growing a church to grow a church. We've always gone into growing people. And, if, and this is the types of sermons that are building you way more than you realize. That God is digging some foundational things in your life, in your heart, and in your mind, and so I hope that you understand where I'm coming from. While I may come off intense or strong, I believe that it's from the Lord. And, uh, and I hope that you sense the love behind it as well. So, so uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I, I want to start off here. We're going to read eight verses. And, uh, and then we'll pray and get started. It says, I can hardly, this is Paul. Now, Paul is writing to a church that he birthed in Corinthians, okay? So he birthed this church. He started this church. So he has a deep passion for this church. He set up an elder, pastors in it. And he's getting, of course, he's out still doing evangelism out in the world. He's still raising up churches all over the nations. And he gets letters. That's how they're communicating. They don't pick up their cell phones, Right? Like, they can't talk like that. So he sends letters back and forth to elders and the church people back and forth. And that's what's happening. As we read Bible letters, this is what we're, re we're, we're reading letters from different elders and apostles in the Bible that are writing letters back and forth from churches. And this is where we pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and it says this, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even pagans or worldly people don't do. 
I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You were so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I am not with you in person, I am with you in spirit, and as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man. In the name of the Lord Jesus, you must call a meeting of the church. I will present with you, I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of the Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out, hand him over to Satan, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day of the Lord returns. It's getting heavy, right? The boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made with, without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you, Father, for a man like Paul who loved the church, who was willing to speak up and speak into it. And God, I pray that this morning, God, that that same spirit would be in this church, God, that the same the same things that you wanted to do in Corinthians, God, that you want to do in this church this morning. God, I thank you for every believer in this place this morning. I thank you for the call of God on their lives. And God, I thank you that as they hear your voice, God, that they would be, they would be able to, to, to live out the, the calling and the destiny that you have for them, God. And as they do that, Jesus, it would make you more famous today than you were yesterday. Come on, if you believe that. You can say amen with me. Like death by culture. This is some heavy text right here. I've personally never preached from this text. Um, I've, sh I've shied away from this text. I mean, this is some heavy stuff. Like, aren't you thankful that Paul isn't pastoring our church? I mean, he'd be like, let's go. You come up at the front. This is what this person is doing. You're out of here. I mean, like, that's some intense pastoring. I mean, I don't know, his church was fairly good size, so it's pretty impressive. But I was thinking about this whole text, and, and, and I'm going to get into a little bit more, obviously, but what I want you to see is he, he's highlighting some, some things that are going on in the church, okay? He's addressing some things, and what we've been talking about over the course of the last few weeks is culture, right? And why are we so about culture? Because what happens when culture gets in you and then gets in the church, this is what happens, so if we're going to protect the church, which the problem with as a pastor, that's what I'm a shepherd. I'm an under shepherd. So the Lord is the chief shepherd. I'm the under shepherd. So I'm, I'm just doing what he's called me to do. And so it's to protect the sheep. How many of y'all know you are sheep? Do is bad. You guys are laying like you all. That's like that's y'all's language, right? That's your, your, you, that's the, the whole thing is for me to protect the sheep. And so what happens is when culture gets in, Culture gets in through different people, different situations, and it begins to infect. This is what he's talking about. It begins to, it begins to permeate through the whole church. This is why culture is so crucial for us to understand, because it's like, why is this such a big deal about culture? Because when culture gets in you, culture gets in the church. And when culture gets in the church, it gets into, into innocent people and, 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 and people that are trying to live their life for the Lord. And so it's important for us to understand that. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking that, you know, there is nothing wrong with water, and there is nothing, th there is nothing wrong with a boat in water, right? 
Like, that's what they're made for. Like, boats are made to go in water. The problem is, is what happens is when culture is, is rampant in a church, it's like water getting in the boat. Like, it is fine as long as the water stays out of the boat, it's great. The problem that begins to happen is, right, if you're out just enjoying your day out at the lake, and you're just enjoying your day, you get your boat unloaded, you get all your stuff in there, there becomes a problem if all of a sudden there is more water coming into your boat than the bilge pump can pump out of your boat, right? So funny story, uh, my dad had a bass boat. He was like, I was pretty young, and he was like, you can take it out, which I'm really not sure why he ever did that. To trust me like that, I think about it like, what was he thinking? He wasn't thinking. And I knew, obviously, how to run a boat and all of that. But still, I was just like, I mean, it was a new boat. Like, I mean, it was like maybe a couple of months old. And he was like, yeah, you can take it with your friends. And I took all my friends out. We were, you know, using it for a tube. And I, when I first unloaded it, I got out and we were out doing some stuff. Then we stopped and we stopped moving. And all of a sudden, I noticed there's a lot of water getting in the boat. I'm like, uh, we got problems. And I realized that I forgot to put one of the plugs in. And uh, so the boat was filling up with water while we were just having a great time. And I think that that's what happens is what I want to talk to you about today is making sure the plugs in your life are secure. Because culture will get in, in least resistance. Where you have least resistance to culture is where water gets in. That's where it begins to fill up the boat. It begins to, to, to fill it up. And the only way, so what I had to do to get the water out was get the boat turned on and drive as fast as I could to pull the water back out, shut it off and run and get the plug and put it in. And there's a lot more effort if you would just do the plugs first. It's a little bit easier. And, and here we see that what he's showing us is this is what happens when culture gets in our lives. When culture gets in our lives and we, we allow the perception of the world to get into our thoughts, in our heart, that it begins to infiltrate the way that we perceive life, the way that we live our lives as, as believers, right? The way that we live our lives as Christians. And, and so here Paul begins to address it and he hits it like hard right at the beginning. I mean, I can hardly believe the report. And he just goes straight for the thing. Like he's going straight for whatever sin is happening in the world. And let me just say, culture produces sin. Culture is what produces sin in the church. Culture is what produces sin in our lives. And you, you may be thinking, oh, I can listen to that. I can watch that. I can act like that. I can think like that. But you do it long enough and it begins to create a sin life in your mind. And you begin to, that begins how you begin to live it out. I mean, this guy didn't just all of a sudden just start doing what he was doing. It got in through some thought. It got in through something before it ever took an action step. It was already getting in him. And here's the thing is, how is culture right now permeating your belief system as a believer? How you think, how you perceive your faith. You know, as we've seen, there are, there are crazy things that are happening with churches. The Methodist church right now is divided in half over a specific issue. They're saying, this is okay, we can tolerate this over here. The other side of the Methodist church is saying, that is totally counter scripture. How did they get there? Culture got in the church. Right, you're going to see more and more churches over the next 15 years become more divided. For those that want to stand on the truth, 
or those that say, you know what, we can have a little bit more grace than God. That's what happens with culture. When culture gets in, you become more gracious than God is. You become more tolerant than God does, right? And we have to be, we have to be in line with what God says. What God says, I'm not going to be more gracious for a person than God is. How many of you know that God is the most gracious person that we could ever meet? He's the one that died for you. I didn't, right? They're, they're like, there is no one more gracious than Jesus, so therefore, we have to be really careful to be more gracious than how God is perceiving something. Now, we can interpret scripture. Here's another reason why culture is super important and dangerous and lethal, because you begin to interpret scripture through the culture. You begin to interpret and perceive and have perceptions of, well, this is what he really means. We can have, we can have grace there. And so we begin to love something that God hates. Understand, God does not hate people. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about how culture gets in and it begins to cause us to hate people and it begins to, to cause us to not love people. That is a problem. There's never where we should allow culture to get in and, and make us hate people. That's counter Bible. That doesn't even line up. But one of the first things that I want to see, I want you to see here is this, is that culture bends the boundaries of your character. That's what happened to this man. This man came in, probably if you would have asked him before all this, hey, would you ever think it'd be okay to sleep with your stepmom? He'd be like, well, are you sick? But what happens is culture begins to get into your life and it begins to bend the boundaries of your character. And all of a sudden, now you're acting out something that you would have never thought that you would have spoke against five years ago. That's how culture, it leaks and it gets in you and it begins to bend and you begin to adjust. How many of you all have ever had in high school, you had the curve in testing? I loved the curve. Amen? Because I was a terrible test taker. I loved the curve. They'd be like, I mean, I'd, do a, I'd have a 72, but because of the curve, I went from a C to a B. Hallelujah. Right? See, this is what culture does, is it tries to bend the curve. It tries to say, oh, you're really here, but we'll let you be here. It bends the curve. This is another thing that culture does, is it says, culture slips in with a lie that says, God won't mind. God won't mind if you think that way. God won't mind if you do this. God won't mind if you do that. Culture comes in and helps give you an excuse for your action. As he began to think about this, and he began to, you know, give her a little bit longer hug than necessary. God was beginning to give him, the culture was beginning to give him this lie. God won't mind. You're just, you're being sweet to your stepmom. You're making your shirt, let her know that you love her. Right? See how culture slips in and it bends. It twists and manipulates the truth. See, the church should be a hospital. A place where sin is cured, not tolerated. We are a place that is not, we are, we are not here to tolerate sin. We are here to cure it. We should believe in so much of the power of God that that's why Paul set this church up is to save sinners, to help them, to get them out of the sin, not to help cause it. I mean, Paul is probably so frustrated in this moment. He's like, I started that church to get people out of sin. What is happening in that church? Because that's what happens when culture gets in. You begin to tolerate it. You begin to justify it. You begin to excuse it. See, there's a big difference between sin and a life of sin. 
Sin is when you make an act of something and you mess up. This man was living a life of sin. He was in active sin. And so many times we, we kind of try to, we, we have to understand the, the difference because the, that matters. It's not about you making a sin because the enemy will use a sin to condemn you, to hold you in bondage. But a lifestyle of sin actually holds you in bondage regardless. And there's a huge difference between those things. See, culture is accepted through desire. In James, it talks about, it talks about our desires are what take us away from the Lord. It drags us away. Desires are dangerous when we allow the desires that are birthed through the culture. Well, that's what the world has. That's what this is. That's what they do. And we allow and we adopt those things into our lives. It creates, that's how culture gets in is through our desires. So whatever is going on in your heart and in your mind is where the avenue of culture has its power. Right? Like, I've never had a desire. I've never robbed a bank. Do you know why? Because I've never had a desire to be like driving by a bank and my car's like, oh my gosh, oh, I gotta get in there. I gotta go rob that bank. Like, no. But I've had other desires that have come in and it's come through culture. They've given me the opportunity. They've waved their banner and say, hey, we know what you like. And in this moment, what I have to do is I have to deal with those desires through the power and the presence of God. This is why worship is so important because it recalibrates your heart to love the things that God loves to desire the things that God desires. See, culture feeds, here it says this. It says, you were so proud of yourselves. Like they were living with this dude, rubbing shoulders with him, doing small groups with him, doing church and worship with him and his stepmom. Like they were actively together, not out, this wasn't a secret thing, this was a public thing. They're out doing life together, like they're co-leading a small group together. Right? Like, we would look here that and be like, that's absolutely crazy. That's the power of culture. That's the power of culture. When it gets into something, you begin to believe it. You begin to accept it. So it goes on and it says, you are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I am with you in person, I am in. He goes through this and he's basically talking about pride. And here's the thing is that culture, it survives through pride. For when, it, when any of us, when we think, oh, that's not going to happen to me. I'm just telling you, pride is the greatest door to the enemy. The Bible says this, God resists the proud. So in other words, you don't even have God's hand on your life when you're living in pride. You have, the, you have a full open door to the enemy. The door is wide open for, a, you know, if you open your door right now out at your house, right, flies are going to get in, right? I mean, there's no question as to whether flies or bugs are going to get in your house because that's what pride does. Pride swings open the door and says, culture can't mess with me. Culture can't affect me. I'm too spiritual. I've been saved far too long. Oh, I've had that. See, pride will open up the door for the enemy and the culture to get into your life and to wreak havoc on you. And here's the thing. This is the problem with pride. How many of you all know that you have pride? Wow, okay. Well, typically, I was going to say, most of us, when we're living in pride, we don't know we are. Because pride is deceptive. 
Pride convinces us, oh, usually it takes my wife saying, that was prideful. I'm like, whatever. And I'm like, oh yeah, actually that was pride. <laughs> right, none of you all? You all know it before your wife tells you, right? Yeah. <laughs> see, see, pride, it blinds us to the need for purity for the benefit of pleasure. I need this over this. I don't need, I don't need purity, I need pleasure. That's what was happening in this man. He wanted pleasure over purity. And the culture of the church, what we have to do is we have to protect it. We have to, you know, we hear the scripture, and some of y'all are already, have already used this, and it's so unbiblical that it's ridiculous, is that you can't judge me. Then is Paul theologically off? Because he says, I'm judging you. He says, I'm judging you because you're in the church. We're not called to judge outsiders, but we are called to be fruit inspectors of the, of the fruit of the tree Right? Like, I mean, you can't walk by a, a tree and be like, oh, that's a cherry tree, but there's apples on it. You're not judging it. You're identifying it. Right? Like, that's what we're called to do as believers is we're just identifying the tree. You call it judgment. I call it, I call it identification. Right? And, and so many of us get bent out of shape. It's like, why are you judging me? They're judging you because of the fruit on your tree. If you don't like that fruit, deal with the root. If you don't like what's on your tree, then you've got to change something on the inside. Culture's been feeding your soil. So you have to begin to do something different. See, pride, it, it, it fuels the desire to serve our own needs over God's. How many of you guys have ever lived prideful and served God's will? <laughs> right? Like, you don't ever be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm serving God and being prideful. You were always, when you were prideful, you were always serving you. Think about it, right? Like any time that you're prideful, any time that I'm prideful, I'm serving my own needs over my wife, my family, my kids, my whatever. Pride takes care of me first. That's the danger when we let pride in our lives is it takes care of me first and not people. And that's what's happening in here. He says this. This is where we as believers have to become more sensitive when we are offending God, when we are are. are working against the, the nature of God in the church. And that's, he says this. He gives this quick antidote. And he says this. You should remove this. He says, sorry. He says, and you are so proud of yourselves, but you should be in mourning. That is the greatest attribute you and I can have as believers, is mourning. That we are quick, because mourning is basically quick to repent. What did David do when he messed up with Bathsheba and he did what he did and he, he killed her husband, right? What was the first prayer that he began to write? He began to write this, God created me a clean heart. He began to repent because repentance brings you back into fellowship with God. Humble is, to be humble is to be repentant. And so he says, he says mourning and here's what, what happens is that mourning eliminates the leaven from corrupting your heart. The more that we stay in mourning and repentance, we stay in the sensitivity of God and we stay away from allowing culture in. I may have a bad thought, but because I spend time with God, I can take that thought to God and God can address that thought and he can take the leaven out. See, we are, I think we feel like because we have thoughts, we live in a world, we're, we're, hammered by the pressures of culture, 
right? I mean, you need to look a certain way. You need to have a certain amount of money. You have to drive a certain car. You have to have a certain house. You have to be perceived as successful. You have to have this. You have to have this. And we're inundated with culture. We wouldn't call that culture. We would just call that life. But that is what the world uses to influence you and I. And what happens is it begins to seep its way into the church. And when it gets into the church, it doesn't just stop with one person. It goes from me and Alicia to our leadership team, from our leadership team down to those that they're discipling. And then it goes in from them to the people. And it just begins to spread. But mourning and repentance will keep the world out of our lives. Because we're living in a place of repentance and we're becoming more, the more repentant and the more mourning we have in our lives, the more aware we are of God's voice over culture. The more we're able to recognize, God, this is where you're calling me. This is what you're asking of me. And my question for you and I is, have you been living a life of mourning? Have you been living a life of repentance? Have you been living a life of sensitivity to God over what the culture has brought into your life? Because the culture is coming every morning, knocking on your door, saying, hey, this is what I have to offer. This is what I have. It was like, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet, the cartoon. You know, the pop-ups that keep coming up to him, and he's like, pop-up, pop-up. That's culture. That is literally the epitome of culture. That exactly is what happens. You're doing life. You're like, I mean, you get down from church today. You're like, I mean, I am going to change the way that I live my life. I'm going to get really real with my devotion. I'm going to go buy a new Bible today. I'm going to do a new devotional. I'm going to do that. And you start doing that, all of a sudden, the pop-up comes up. And you're like, squirrel. Like, you're like, okay, that is enticing. I don't really need a devotional today. I'll get it next week. Or I don't really need to get my word tomorrow. I'll be, I'll be all right this week. I can do it tonight instead of this morning. I can do it, you know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden, these pop-ups keep coming up in your life, and culture begins to influence you. And see, here's the thing. Sorrow bursts repentance and deep formation away from culture. Here's the thing. Y'all, I I heard this from Pete Scazzaro the other day, and it's messed with me. You know, we are a spirit-filled church. We believe in revival. We believe in all of those things. And he was talking about how so many times we want to substitute formation for revival. But it's actually revival that some of you, you need encounters with God. And when you get an encounter with God, what it does is it sets your heart in a place that says, I want to be formed by you. And so sorrow, what does it do? Sorrow bursts this desire to say, God, I want you to form me. Many of you are being formed by the culture instead of God. You look more like an idol from the world instead of the shape of Christ. Because when culture gets in, here's the thing. If I was to bring you into the world and I was to watch you for a day, if, if, if I was just to watch you for a day, would I, be, would I take, would my perception of you be worldly or spiritual? That's how you know if you're really living a carnal life. The way the things that you listen to, the things that you watch, the, thing, the way that you react to people, the way that you love people, the way that you interact with your family, would I be like, mm, they're probably not a believer. If I'm throwing, if I'm, If I'm guessing, that's probably a person that's not saved yet. That's how you know if culture is getting in you. You cuss at the same people that sinners cuss at. You flip people off just like everybody else flips people off. You just let yourself go. Like culture is influencing us way more than we realize. And here's the problem is when culture gets in us, it gets in our churches. And when it gets in our churches, it gets in our kids. And when it gets in our kids, we raise up people that have a different perception and a view of God. 
This is bigger. See, I'm a visionary. I'm thinking like 15 years from now. I'm already thinking about your kids and me preaching to your kids. Are you all okay with that? <laughs> right? I'm already thinking about, I'm already thinking about how, how when we raise them up and when we see what God wants to do to them, I'm making sure that the things that we're setting here foundationally in you is okay that you can raise a family the way that God is calling you to raise a family. So, so here's what we have to understand is that sorrow births repentance and deep formation. We need that to really be formed the way that God wants us to be formed. In verse six, he goes into this and he begins, he says, you're boasting about this is terrible. In other words, what he's really saying is you've ignored it and you don't even care about it. That's another sign of culture in the church is when we don't care about somebody else's safety and soul, health. The reason we do discipleship here, the reason why we do what we do in our church with soul and emotional health and spiritual health is because we want to help you get healthy. How, how great is it is if we have a bunch of people, we fill this church with a bunch of people who are carnal. That doesn't do anything for the kingdom. Doesn't do anything for the world. But when we raise you up to become aware of yourself emotionally and spiritually, and you are deeply formed, you begin to long for the things that God longs for in your heart. Right? So it takes a little longer to build a bigger church this way, but when this church gets big, it gets dangerous. That's what I'm about. I'm about raising up a dangerous church. I'm about raising up men and women who are not scared of the world because God has so infiltrated them that they are willing to face it and address it hard on and to say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm called to do. This is what I, you, I, you've been, you've put me here for this reason. You know, in verse six, he goes on and says that, he says, you're boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is that a, like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? It says this. Talks about an amount. It doesn't say that there was a ton of yeast. It says a little yeast. So many times we think that just a little isn't that much. Here, the Lord is highlighting the amount. If a little yeast gets in the batch of dough, it permeates the whole thing over the course of time. And immediately, you don't recognize it. But over the course of time, I think there's a lot of big churches because there's a lot of yeast in them. They swell up. And they just, they puff up. And there's so much carnality. And to be quite frank, I think it's, I think it's amazing how we as pastors have let culture in. We, I'm talking to you, but let me talk to about pastors for a moment. Because you know what, what most pastors do is they care about, they care about butts in the seat and budgets and buildings. And when it's about that, guess what? Culture has gotten in because that's a business model. If I don't care about your soul, I shouldn't be pastoring this church. If I don't care about what God is going to do through you and how he's going to form you, I can't make you let God form you, but I can create such an atmosphere that every time you get irritated and you have to either step up or step out. And I don't want you to step out. I want you to step in. I want you to step into the formation that God has for your life. I want you to embrace what God wants to do through you. That's my heart. But see, culture gets into pastor and be like, oh, I'm only, I'm only successful if. I heard a pastor say the other day that I preached a sermon and only had a few views. And then somebody else tweeted it and it ended up having it going viral. So was he obedient when he said it and only had a couple of views? Or was he obedient when it went viral? 
The point is, is obedience is not based on results. Obedience is, is based on you being obedient to what God is asking you to do. That's, that's the culture that we as pastors have to say, hey, it's not about me growing a church and getting it to a certain size. It's about making sure the people in the church are growing the right way. So here, let me just say this too. There's so much time and things I need. Lord Jesus, save me some time. Help me out. Redeem the Lord. Redeem the time. So the second point is this, is that what is accepted in the church ultimately shapes it. What we, what we, what we as people accept in the church ultimately will shape the church. So what's, here's the dangerous thing. What gets in me gets in you. If leaven gets in me, guess what happens? It begins to permeate your hearts. And you begin to be like, oh yeah, we're growing. We're all about people. If I make it all about people, guess what? So will you. Instead of it being about your growth and your discipleship and you getting into something that's helping you grow your faith and grow in an area of weakness. See, what, what we have to understand is that Paul was trying to stop something before it, before it swelled up into the entire church. He knew this man's lifestyle is not going to stop here. Oh, if that guy can get by with it and God hadn't struck him dead, well, then I can do it. Right? So Paul understood. He's like, no, we got to remove that joker out of the church and give him over to Satan and let Satan win his heart back to the Lord. Isn't it amazing that Paul uses Satan as the antidote to get him back into his faith with the Lord? I mean, I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to pray. Lord, I pray Satan get him. <laughs> right? <laughs> Satan get him. No, I'm praying Lord get you. Lord get their heart. Captivate their heart so that they love you more than they love the world. See, what, here's what thing. So what kills yeast in actual bread is this. Hot, hot water. Water over 140 degrees. If you begin to make a, some bread and you use water that's over 140 degrees, it kills the yeast. What am I saying? I'm saying that your passion for God will kill the yeast that tries to enter your life. If you will get hot enough, if you will get passionate enough that the yeast that's trying to get in you, the world that's trying to get in you, it will just eliminate it. It will eradicate it and you won't have to fight the yeast. Your passion is already doing it. Your zeal for the Lord is already eliminating it. Is that You just let the, let, let the spirit do the work in you and then all of the sudden, it just eliminates it. See, I believe that what's permitted won't just stay at the level it enters. What, what we let permit, what we permit, here's the, the scriptures that what, the Bible says that whenever, uh, whenever God cleans out a house, if they've been demon possessed, they've been filled with all these demonic things, is that what does it say? Is that whenever the house is, he, if one ant leaves, it says seven comes back. So what's, what's the point? The point is you better get your house full of some things of God so that demons don't have room. That the culture will come back stronger than when it came at you the first time. This is why we need to fill our houses, fill our hearts, fill our minds with the ways and the words of God. And as we do that, demons don't have any room. Culture doesn't have any influence. It doesn't have any where it can get into our lives. Right? I got to rush. My gosh, help me. Okay. Verse eight, this is, I, I got to get to this because this is important. It says, so let us celebrate the festival, not with old bread of wickedness and evil, but the new bread of sincerity and truth. All right. How many of you know that you can be sincerely truthful in a wrong way? You can be sincerely truthful in a wrong way. Sincerity and truth are contingent on the motives of your heart. 
I can be sincerely truthful about wanting to sleep with somebody. I can be sincerely truthful about wanting to embezzle money. I can be sincerely truthful about not wanting to forgive you. Right? Do you see how that can be so? But what? Here's the, here's the cool thing about this scripture. The word sincerity in the Greek means this, judged by the son. Judged by the son. Not the son as in like the son of God, but son as in like the son that burns you. So here's what would happen. What would happen is people that would create jars and vessels and clay pots, if while they were baking it, it cracked, they would fill it with wax in the cracks and they would put it in low lit areas when they were selling it so that the people that were buying it didn't see the crack until it got home. So sincerity here means judged by the sun. And so people that understood pottery, what they would do is they would take it and they would put it into the light. And if the light was exposing the cracks, they knew this guy, they're trying to sell some broken stuff, some defective stuff. Here's the point, is that if you want to live a life of sincerity and truth, put yourself in the sun and the sun will show the cracks in your life. The sun will show the defects in your life. And if a lot of times when we try to hide ourselves, that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Don't turn on the light. Don't turn on the light. Don't let anybody know. No, the moment that you turn on the light and you allow yourself to be seen, it shows the cracks and the things that you're susceptible to. So this third and final point is this, is that sincerity and truth keep the world from gaining access. That, that the world can't gain access where there is sun. Where there is sun, the world can't get in because it's illuminating. It's showing you, oh, this is an area, you are solid in this area. You've got a crack over here. And what the world wants to do is to try to give you some, some stuff to try to cover it up and to try to hide. The most spiritual thing you can do is be vulnerable to the Lord. It's what will keep culture out of you. See, leaven gets in through a lie that the soul wants. Hear me. Culture gets in through a lie that the soul wants. Culture has never gotten into me where I did not let it in. Never. Soul, that my soul, wherever I bought into the lie, I'll have more pleasure here than here. I'll have more success here than there. I don't have to have integrity here. No one's going to see it. I don't have to have character here. It's okay, it's just once. See, that's, that's the ways of the culture of the world. That's the way that the world does things. We're not worldly. We're the, we're the, the answer to the world. We're what God wants to use as an antidote for, for what the world is trying to offer. That if you will hold yourself into the light, when you get into your prayer time this week, you would be, that you would maybe even intentionally sit in the sun for a moment to be reminded, God, I want to be sincere. I want, I want what I say out of my mouth and out of my heart to come from sincerity and truth with a pure motive, God. I don't want the world in. My family, in my heart, and in my mind, in my business, and where I work. God, I want, I want to be judged by the sun. Let the sun expose defects and areas of weakness in my life. If you could stand as we close.
You know, the enemy would love to convince you right now that you don't have any cracks, you don't have any defects. You are great. Maybe you are. Maybe you've been sitting in the presence of God and maybe you've been doing everything you can after these last few weeks to say, okay, God, illuminate what is what has been trying to get into my life. But if you will be honest this morning, not this sermon, but the points in the heart behind this sermon could change your future. It could change the way, the way that God uses you, the way that God forms you. It could change everything about what God wants to do in your life. Because some of you, one of the main things that you're struggling with is that the world is bombarding you with a view and a perception that's completely counter God. It's not the kingdom of God. That you, would hear the, that you would hear the spirit of God, that you wouldn't go back today and leave as normal, that you would say, okay, God, I'm gonna begin to run everything that I do through the sun. My music, I'm gonna put it through the sun. My actions, my character, I'm gonna put it in the sun. My integrity, I'm gonna put it in the sun. My lifestyle, I'm gonna put it in the sun. Because it's the sun that exposes where the culture has an opportunity to make its way in. So Father, I pray that right now you would help us, God, bring our lives before you into the sun. That if I lose a deal I lose a deal as long as I can glorify you. God, if I have to walk away from a relationship, then I have to walk away from the relationship. God, you care more, I care more about you than I do anything I can gain in this world. So God, I pray that you would help us in this moment. God, I pray that you would help young people in this moment. God, I pray that you would help those that are in this room that have heard the words you've spoken allow transformation to come Lord I thank you right now in this moment God that your presence is heavy on our hearts God that our desire is we desire God we long to be like Paul and get whatever is trying to get in our lives and into the church out God help us in this moment by bringing and illuminating things that are in our lives that are not like you. Purify our hearts, God. Bring a passion and a fire that would would eliminate the yeast that's trying to permeate through. Father, I thank you right now for your presence. Come on, if that's you this morning, I wanna ask if you just slip your hand up real quick. I believe that there's something spiritual about us raising our hands. I don't just do this every week to do it. I believe that that's an, it's, it's always up to you to act on something. Whatever God is asking, that this is an opportunity for you to act on that and say, okay, God, I'm gonna bring my life before you. If that's you this morning, slip your hand up. Say, that's me, God, I'm raising, I'm bringing my life before you. Thank you for those hands. Come on, all over. God, I'm bringing my life before you. 
Let the Son reveal what needs to be revealed. We love you, God. We thank you, God, right now for what you're doing. I pray that this week, God, that there would be supernatural encounters with you, Lord. God, that there would be confirmation. God, that there would be transformation. There would be, there would be things that we would confront in our lives with the gospel of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing right now. Things that we don't even know that you're doing in the atmosphere, God, in the spirit realm, God. Thank you that the things that you are defeating right now in people's lives right now, we thank you. In Jesus' name. This morning, if you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Or maybe you've prayed this prayer before, but you say this morning, I need to recommit my life to Jesus. I've, I've walked away. I've gotten so culturally passionate that, that I've lost my zeal for you, Lord. That this morning, if that's you on either one of those, you say, that's me. I want to give my life or recommit my life. That's you. Go ahead and slip your hand up real quick. I just want to pray with you. You say, that's me. I want to give my life or recommit my life. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing. God, I thank you that you are with your people. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen.